Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of you, wherever you are in this world. You're listening to Cleft Signs. This is Captain Keith. And today's new episode is on the Hulu-based original TV series, Wu-Tang, and America Saga. Yes, indeed. Uh, season two just ended, and I'm, I can't wait to talk to you about this television show. So the official synopsis of the show is, you know, the show tracks the Wu-Tang Clan's f- formation, a vision of Bobby Diggs, you know, AKA RZA, who strives to unite a dozen young black men that are torn between music and crime, but eventually rise to become the unlikeliest of American success stories. And that's a great description of the, of the series, you know? Yeah, it, it really is. And what's interesting is that, you know, you get to see them in New York in the 90s. And there's, the, so here's the cast. The cast is uh, Ashton Sanders plays Bobby Diggs. So we'll start off with him. What's cool about the first season of the series is that when you're watching it, you, you know that he's risen because, you know, Bobby Digital, Bobby Diggs. But the rest, I did not know. I didn't know who was going to be Ghostface. I didn't know who was going to be you know, Raekwon, I didn't know who was, you know, uh, I, I didn't know who was going to be like you God and Inspector Deck. Now, there were some obvious people I did know. The minute I saw Dave East, I knew he was going to be Method Man, although in the first season they call him Shotgun, so he's not Method Man just yet. So, <laughs> and TJ, you know, TJ Adams plays Asan Unique, who eventually becomes Old Dirty Bastard. So when you first see him, you don't know that he's Old Dirty just yet, but you see it. So, but like I said, you know, who was going to be Ghost? Who was going to be Raekwon? And like I said, Inspector Deck. Yeah, I did, yeah, all yeah, all those cats. I, you know, it was it was a great guessing game. You know, it was it was cool because. It was exciting because you're like, who, who's going to be who? You know, you, you can't wait for it to unfold. So basically, Bobby, you know, a.k.a. RZA, lives with his mom. Um, and he's got an older brother named Divine who looks out for him. And But, you know, Bobby's in the streets, but he's making his music. And, you know, It's real easy to caught up in, to get caught up in the street game because it can be so enticing in one level because you can make so much money selling drugs versus working in under five. But there's a price to pay for that. Gangsters don't have retirement plans. Their you know drug dealers don't have retirement plans usually. Their plans end up them in, with either them in jail or dead. So, so not the right course of action to take. So and Erica Alexander plays. Uh, Rizza's mom, and she does a great job. Uh, let me see, Miss Diggs, Linda Diggs. Yeah, she does a great job. So, what can I say about this show? There's what I didn't know watching this series is that you know when we when the whole world got introduced to Wu Tang Clan, we got to see all these brothers uh, together as one group. Uh, you know. The sum of a part, the sum of its parts becoming whole, you know. It was a brand. It was a family. It was all that. It was a business. It was hip hop. It was they they created their own industry, their own brand, 
they created their own way of doing things. Now, to be fair, you know, Hieroglyphics was doing their thing on the West Coast, and so was Living Legends. But, and those groups are great, and I'm a fan of those groups. And I've seen all three groups. So, uh, but no one had the commercial splash that Wu-Tang had. No one had the charisma that Wu-Tang had. You know, bringing Method Man out first. You know, he was the ladies' man. He was the matinee idol. You know, he was the sex symbol of Wu-Tang. Or at least he was the first sex symbol. How about we say that? Others came down the line, but they led with him first. And, and we all know why. You know, he had the rhymes. He had the style. He had the charisma. He had the looks. He had the lyrics. Get it, you know? So, what's interesting, like I said, is when they came out into the world... You know, we're thinking, okay, these cats are tight. They're tight, and they're, you know, these these are brothers. Watching the series, you find out well before they became Wu Tang, it wasn't necessarily that way. There was beef, there was conflict, uh, there was gangs, <laughs> the people involved in. Uh, there were shots being fired, the people who've been shot. <laughs> you know, uh, but what I really liked about the first season um, is that, you know, two members. Uh, of the group, you know, uh, they both had really, really, I mean, everyone basically had humble beginnings, but some of them had, were more humble than others. Like, when you see the background of one MC's family life, how he has to hold stuff down, and what he's dealing with at home, it's very humbling, and the care that he provides for his family and his siblings, it's, it's very, it's very moving. And, and, and it's, it's really cool. And then when you see another person is so poor that they're um, sleeping on top of a building, that's how they're living. I'm not going to tell you who. You just have to see it for yourself. I mean, that's how deep it got. And I'm like, now this person's a multimillionaire now, but this is what he used to have to do. Sleep on top of a building on the roof. That was his home. I mean that's 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 poor, that's that's heavy. So uh, yeah. <laughs> and then so Bobby's older brother Divine basically is you know in the drug game, and there's a cat named Power who's also in the drug game, and they don't get along. Um, and you know they have separate camps. People go to jail. People get put on parole. And you know when you're an artist and you're no one knows who you are and you're trying to do this music thing you know a lot of times people just aren't supportive it's it's rare to find uh people who are supportive uh, of burgeoning talent when they see it a lot of times either they're supportive and they're kind of um over the top and oppressive trying to control you with that talent or they're just not supportive at all and it's once you get a job and i get that you know i get the whole you gotta get a job dreams are nice but they don't pay the rent okay yeah but dreams happen for a reason and either you follow them or you don't it, it really is that simple and either you're gonna help me or you're not it's, you know it's that simple too so i mean that's that's an issue you know that you get in the first season and uh Linda Diggs, you know, played by Erica Alexander, is really trying to keep Bobby on the straight and narrow. She loves her kids. I mean, she's got like four kids. Um, and 
And the crazy thing is, once again, you know, you don't see Rizzo's father. I mean, that's the thing about this show that that's really kind of uh, disheartening, but very realistic is that out of all those MCs, you never saw anyone's father. And that, that even gets addressed in the second season in a really powerful episode that I'll talk about before this, this podcast is up. Um, but just laying down what's going on in the first season, uh, even though Powers, this, you know, Oliver Power Grant played by Marcus Callender, you know, and Julian Elijah Martinez plays Mitchell Divine Diggs, Riz's older brother, who becomes like their manager and businessman. Uh, so, you know, Power, first of all, it's a drug dealer named Power. So, you know, he guy's not really stupid. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you know, he's got some things going on and, you know, he sees himself a certain way. So, and he's, his character is likable because even when he's turning on the different fellows, you know, who later become Wu-Tang, you know, to the drug game, he tells them, you know, this is not permanent. This is temporary. This is, you know, until you can figure out the next thing you want to do. There's no longevity in this. So he knows that, but he's still stuck. So it's just like, what happens to get him unstuck from all this? Will he ever get unstuck? Will he die, you know, in the streets? Or will he find another way? So... The first season starts off kind of slow, but then it's like a slow burn, but it picks up. So, so if you guys didn't know, um, Jizza and ODB are cousins with RZA. They're all blood. They're all blood related. So Jizza, you know, first he goes by, you know, the genius and he gets a record deal. And then um, basically RZA winds up getting one too, I believe on Batani Boy as Prince Rakim. He gets a manager and they're about to put him on tour. You know, they have him do local shows first. I mean, have him do a small city tour. He's got this great album, this great track that's about to come out. And then at the last minute, the sample for the track doesn't clear. So they have to redo it. And it doesn't have any traction at all. And they kind of put him in a top hat and a tuxedo. And he looks kind of clownish and buffoonish. And it's not even his fault. You know, a young RZA. So, you know, the the second version of, of the single comes out, like I said, it doesn't do well, and he gets dropped. So, and once you get dropped by a label, no other labels really want to mess with you. And, you know, for most people, that could easily just, you know, make you feel defeated and deflate you, your ego, and just say, you know what, I'm done. You know, it's real easy you know to, to try one time and then you get smacked down not to try again the artist can be very sensitive with thin skin <laughs> but what's great about this series is that it shows the power of one person with a vision and friends who believe in that person's vision and decide to work with them and become a team and when you work with friends that closely who believe in you and your vision and they see how they are part of the vision and how they are all pivotal to that vision you become family and it was great to see how RZA really pulled everybody together because I didn't necessarily know that it, this was all his vision and then you know but 
you have to know that all these guys were special because you know the, the person who plays a uh, ghost face and the person who plays a uh, you know I'm, I'm not gonna tell you I want you to see it so you can figure out who that's gonna be uh Raekwon <laughs> and, and Rizzo they're obsessed with kung fu flicks especially the Wu-Tang Clan series of movies and which is really interesting I, I never even heard of those movies after I you know heard of the group and then I start to see them on DVD but they got really into it, really into those worlds and the discipline and the symbolism to it. And like I said, the first season has a slow burn, but it definitely burns. You can see, you can see the momentum starting to build. And you know, Divine has some problems. Uh, you know, basically with the law. And then he's got to try to find a good job and, you know, just issues. And it's just, you see everyone trying to survive. You see that people, what I liked about this show is that this series doesn't show the Wu-Tang Clan members uh, doing crime because they're excited, you know. It, it doesn't show them reveling in the dirt that they're doing. You know, you see it's, they feel like it's a necessity and you see how a lot of them feel like they're trapped. And then you see how part of that cycle does start to seduce them in the sense that they don't think there's anything else they can do, that this might be all they'll ever be. And like I said, Riz's patience, his love for music of all types. Uh, so you see him, cause he sleeps in the house, he's in the basement, that's his room. He's got his gear set up, his turntables, his computer. And you, you know, and, and you just see him crafting music, and you know that's you know that's his escapism, that's the safe place, and he knows he's got something to offer. And all the cats there who are his friends, you know, some, you know, he's got friends on both sides from like these different basically drug gangs, and um, he's the glue, and they don't even see it yet, but eventually they do by the second season, and that's what I like about you know this show, is that it all starts to slowly come together. But there's definitely some hard knocks that that, that, that come into play. Uh, you know, Bobby gets forced into a real messed up situation on the street. The mother's trying to hold it down. And what I do like about Bobby's character played by Ashton Sanders is that he's very loving and very respectful to his mom. Doesn't, he doesn't really lie to her. Um, and she wants more for him and he wants more for himself. He just can't figure out how to do it yet. But what winds up happening is that getting dropped from Tommy Boy because his Prince Rakim record went nowhere was a blessing in disguise because he's going to take that information later and flip it on its head. And eventually, Divine, you know, that has his brother's nickname, starts to see how serious he is about this. And when you see somebody's really passionate about something and you see how they're at their best when they're involved in that passion. You can't help but be moved by it and maybe want to be a part of it and support it. And that's what happens with uh, his brother Divine. So, and when, by the time we meet, you know, Shotgun, who wants to become Method Man, you know, Davey's character, you know, he's real cool, real smooth and laid back. He doesn't really get too heated. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he loves to rhyme. And, you know, at this point, it's like, all these cats love hip hop and you know, yeah, they like to rhyme. Yeah, they do. But you know, 
they got other things in life that's getting in the way and they just don't think that there's gonna be a way that they can do this because all these cats you know if they were gonna get a deal they see themselves as solo artists but Bobby knows better Bobby's like eh, not yet that's not how I want to play this you know and by the time you get to the end of the first season so Bobby's younger brother who has a different father than him and his sister um, his father hasn't been around in a while so and he's played by Bokeem Woodvine and I forget what his name is on the show have to look for it um, he comes back to see you know Linda Diggs and he tells her hey you know I'm doing a lot better now and uh, I want to take you and our son his name is Jerome he's like I want to take you and our son and I have a house over in Ohio I think it's like Cleveland and you know I want you and the family you know to come with me down there I have a good job now I love you I want to take care of you so here's a so you know you get to see a black man come back for his family so he's Bobby's basically he wants to be in Bobby's like stepdad but it was real cool to see that because you don't really see that you know too often we'll see a TV series where you know this the, the strong beautiful black woman who's raising her children by herself you know and that's just it the father is either gone or dead or whatever but Jerome played by, played by Bokeem Woodbine coming back is like hey I'm doing a lot better I got this house come take bring the family I want you all to come down to Cleveland so we can be together I love you I want to you know raise our raise our child raise our son together and he's serious so by the end of the first season the whole family's headed towards Cleveland so now by the time uh, they get to Cleveland Cleveland that's the second season now it gets a little messed up because you know Riz has been like okay I got drive from time your boy I'm still making this music but I need to make money so he's selling drugs you know in Ohio in Cleveland and and his boys some of his boys came down with them so they all doing it but now things get a little messed up he's got a girlfriend but her ex pops up and he's feeling some kind of way drama ensues <laughs> shots get fired and then basically you know there's some trouble with the law and Riz is going to be in a turning point he's at a crossroads he's got to figure out what he's going to do and um, the irony is is that the drama that ensues with shots being fired and people you know in a, in a him being at the crossroads he realized that, I mean this, this, the situation that happened that got him in trouble legally with the law in Ohio where he was about to go to jail uh, for a long time What's, there's an interesting part where the guy who wants to uh, represent him as a lawyer met with the mom and was down in the basement where Rich's bedroom is and he saw Rich's record collection and he saw <laughs> a Kane Loggins record so when he met with Rizzo or Bobby for the first time, he's like, um, I know you have a Kane Loggins record. Why do you have that record? He goes, he's a great American composer. <laughs> so it's just funny because by him just saying that to the lawyer, so the lawyer knew the kid was some, someone different when he saw the record collection. And him, that reply, the lawyer liked him. So he's like, okay, I'll take, I'll take your case. <laughs> That was very um, eccentric, but really cool. I, I, I like that. I that was very cool to see. It was different. You know, realizing that people um, 
that you can't always stereotype people that you don't you, you, especially when it comes to their love of music you never know just because somebody looks a certain way doesn't mean you know you might meet a black person who, who, who only listens to rock and roll you know or a white person who only listens to R&B you just never know who you're going to meet you know and, and <laughs> what their story is but I, I enjoyed that part um, so like I said Rizzi gets to a crossroads and basically you know he's spared he doesn't go to jail but he realizes, okay, I can't be down here anymore. I need to go back to New York, back to Staten Island, and and do this music thing. And he goes back and he moves in with Divine and his and his girlfriend. And Divine's on parole, just trying to get a good job. Had a construction job, but there was some shady business going on, so the construction guy had to shut it down. And it even wasn't his fault. So you, you know, but everything falls into place slowly but surely. You know, because Rizzo's, you know, Bobby is dropping off a, a book on music management for Divine to read and he knows Divine's a real smart guy so he starts reading the book and he starts getting more intrigued he's like okay so this is how the business works okay so they start putting their heads together and Bobby's like I want you to handle the business aspect of it you know I have a vision so now there's bad blood between uh two of the MCs who later on become famous for being uh, Wu-Tang like brothers and making records together. That's all I'll say. Because they're in rival camps. So, well, before I get to that, I also have to say that there's a situation where Power, you know, who was a rival drug dealer, he gets on a city bus for whatever reason and he comes across a cat who was a, who was a known drug dealer uh, who I believe he used to work for. And that cat is a bus driver. And when he sees Power, he doesn't flinch or try to hide. He's like, yeah, this is what I'm doing now. You know, I had to get off the streets. You know, I had to make a, a change for my life. He's like, I want to live, <laughs> basically. And he gets power to start thinking. So now, even though power and divine didn't get along, once again, everybody gets along with Bobby. So power goes to Bobby. He's like, hey, you still serious about this music thing? He's like, yeah, because I want to, you know, I want to help. So, okay, I need an investor. So. And a lot of times you do find out that a lot of these rap rappers and rap groups who get started, especially before they even get to a label, a lot of times the seed money they get might be from a drug dealer or from a drug dealer. But, you know, let me keep it real with you. Um, a lot of businesses that have gotten started in this country that is, you know, the United States of America and, and, and throughout the whole world, a lot of times their foundation can be very questionable. So don't. <laughs> and as an as an adult, I know that now. As a young as a young person, I was never told that, but you know, I I, I know that and I've seen that. So, power is like, okay, well, yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to invest. I want to help you. So, Bobby's brought in power, and now, and he's bringing, you know, and now power and divine have to basically. Uh, you know, heal their beef or cease their beef and learn how to work together. So in the second season, a pivotal scene is they're on the ferry going back to New York. And it's uh, two of the MCs who, who can't stand each other. Um, and one's loyal to Power, one's loyal to Divine. Uh, and Power, Divine, and Bobby. And they're all on the boat. And, you know... And they want to work with Bobby, but they don't want to all work together. And basically, Bobby has to give a speech. And he tells him, and she said, look, I need all of you. 
He said, my vision is for all of us to work together. He said, um, I can't do this without you. You are all needed. He said, look, you know, we're black men. He said, and we didn't have our fathers. That's not our fault, but we can be a family and work together and make something special. And, and I'm paraphrasing, but, but I, I love the line where he said that, we, you know, we didn't have our fathers, but that's not our fault. He's saying, I know there's a need. I, I know what that did to us, but we can overcome that. We can transcend that. And, you know, later, you know, they get off the boat. By the time they, the whole episode is just them on the boat and different perspectives, different conversations going on all around the boat. Great episode, shot very well. So later on that season, you know, he gets them on his new apartment where he's been building and they help him build his recording studio, which is cool, uh, on the sneak. And he tells them, I have contracts for you. He goes, all I ask, I ask for five years, five years, you know, give me five years and we'll make it happen. They're all like, what? And then when meth gets in there late, before meth got there, meth was out there, you know, out on the corner with his boys shooting craps. And as he was leaving, the cat came up and did a drive-by and shot and killed a kid. So meth told them that, he said, that could have been me. And when he says that to the rest of the guys who wanted to be in, you know, Wu-Tang, when Shotgun says that, they're like, well, man, that could be me too. They all realize. So they all signed those contracts. Except for one person who who, <laughs> who always says, you know, you got my word, which is kind of weird, and, but, but, but it's cool. But uh, the show just goes from there. Steve Rifkin, who winds up, you know, uh, signing them to Loud RCA, has been kind of, he's been chasing them slowly, but surely trying to find them. Uh, so you see him throughout the series and... You, you, there's a great scene where, I mean, there's just so much I can say about the show. There's a great scene where, you know, Bobby, who calls himself the Risen now, has chosen a single, but he's not really happy with it. So he's got to figure something out. And we get to see him compose music and it's all in his head. And the imagery you see is, is, is amazing. Never seen this before in my life in television for any music type of programming. The way he, so it was really cool how they brought that together and how you see the different pieces of in his mind, um, band members, rap members, all you know playing in his head and how he's slowing them down, speeding them up, changing the changing the pitch, all these different things. It's really cool when you see him compose the song, and you know he sends people out to you know say you need to come with lyrics, and. The guy who plays ODB is hilarious. He's amazing. He does a great job. He's so good. Uh, Asan Unique. <laughs> TJ Adams does a great job. You know, and when he decides to call himself Older the Bastard, someone asks him, why'd you call yourself that? And he says, because there's no father to my style. I mean, that's brilliant. What, what, what can you say to that? So, <laughs> so, you know, the, the shy and D lover and, you know, you see what their names become and all that. It's just, <laughs> it's amazing. It, it, it's, the series is great. When you get to see them uh, perform as Wu-Tang, it, it's, 
you just there's just so much excitement when you start to see it all starting to come together. And I mean, there's still obstacles, and you know, you know, they had to go to a record expo trying to get a you know record deal. You know, that kind of fell through. Um, they had to make phone calls to radio stations. That didn't really work. But <laughs> let's just say <laughs> D Lover and Shy figured out a way around that. Yeah, you have to see it for yourself. It's really cool. But but this is one of the most important television shows in American history. As far as I'm concerned, in world history, there's never been a TV series about a, a hip-hop group. Uh, there's never been a, a group like the Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, they may, they, they make group records, then they make solo records under the Wu-Tang logo. So you still know it's still Wu-Tang Clan, even though it's solo. Just brilliance between the Wu-Wear, the music. I mean, it's just all of it. You've never seen that before. Their first video and how realistic it was and grimy. <laughs> good people of planet Earth, thank you for listening to Cleft Science. Hope you had a good time. I know I did. If you've enjoyed this, please hit like, subscribe, and or favorite. And uh, this show is on Hulu, so check it out. I mean, another reason why I say this is one of the most important television shows to ever be made is because you never really see a television show about a bunch of black men who um, love each other and support each other and work together to become successful, especially young black men. You know, when you watch the trailer for the Wu-Tang in American Saga, there's a line in there where it says, you know, they say by the time of 30, uh, you know, young black men are supposed to be in jail or dead. Well, I can tell you firsthand that when I was coming up, uh, I was told and it was said that the average young black man wouldn't live to see 25. So when I see a TV series about a rap group from New York, about these guys who came from various different backgrounds, but all from Staten Island, and some of them were shooting at each other, shooting at each other's homes, <laughs> you know, uh, just yeah really beefing with each other and they found a way to overcome that and become a band of brothers you know uh, it's pun intended i guess or no pun intended uh it's uh it's remarkable and it definitely should be celebrated and it's definitely something that we should get more used to seeing you know black men working together uh being brothers having a a, a bond a focus um that propels them to success because and I, and I often think about that a lot when I see a lot of different famous uh, hip hop artists, how on paper they were supposed to be, you know, dead or in jail. But that's, you know, but they defied the odds a lot of times. I mean, when you, when you look at their background, not all, because there are some, there are a lot of different hip hop artists who don't come from uh, alleged poor backgrounds or poverty stricken backgrounds. It's just kind of messed up because you know, with, with with today's music industry, a lot of people aren't really, uh, they don't want to hear about a, you know, a young black man who comes from a good home. Uh, that might be boring to them, which I think is ridiculous and stupid, but that's a whole other conversation. But getting back to what I was saying, though, that's why this show was important, because you see basically like, you know, 12 black men uh, come together, you know, uh, squash their beefs and differences and become a family unit and change the rap game and the music industry forever.
by their sheer existence and will. That's why. So even if you may not be a rap fan or a Wu-Tang Clan fan, I still encourage you and, and to, I highly and strongly encourage you to watch this series, uh, Wu-Tang and American Saga. It's, it's, it's actually probably the best thing Hulu's done. Hulu's done some cool stuff, but this, and uh, it's gotten renewed for a third season, but it's supposed to be the final season, which I think is a travesty. And I pray that someone has enough sense to pick this show up for, uh, for more seasons because there's so much more to the story than just three seasons, you know. Yeah, 10 episodes apiece. Yeah, there's so much to say. I mean, because Wu-Tang is still here. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that to all of you, good people of the planet Earth and the known universe. That, yeah, this is a series that's going to be studied. I can tell you that right now. It will be studied because it's a one-of-a-kind television show about a one-of-a-kind rap group. There's never been a rap show, I mean, a television show about a rap group that became a series like this. And uh, my hats off to RZA and Method Man and all the executive producers from Wu-Tang Clan who produced this show. Uh, and Mario Van Peebles has been directing uh, some of the episodes of the second season. And he's an executive producer on the show now, too. So just all, of, you know, Alex C, all of it, everyone involved in the show. My hat's off to you. So, yeah. <laughs> so just wanted to mention that to all of you that even like I said, even if you don't like rap, even if you don't like the Wu-Tang Clan, if you like good drama, something that's going to be uh, inspirational and moving, watch this series. Well, thanks again. And as you already know, see you somewhere out in space.